Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This morning, uh, we're kind of leaving a little bit some encounters with Jesus that we've been looking at. And we're going to look more directly at, at the topic of um, biblical church leadership, right? Um, so, so this is one that we haven't talked about for a little bit. And it's one that as we get ready for the new year, and as elders, we want to prayerfully be um, seeking people to serve as deacons and elders within our church, men to serve as deacons and elders within our church. I, I thought it was fitting as I was thinking and praying through this fall that we go ahead and have a teaching because it's a good reminder for us what does it mean to be a godly church leader. Um, You could summarize this message perhaps in this phrase. Godly character comes from regularly coming and meeting with God. Godly character comes from regularly coming to and meeting with God. Um, And one of the most important things for all of us, and especially for elders and deacons and leadership within a church, is the spiritual walk that they have with God. And so we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about what what is the role of an elder or deacon. What, What does it mean to have a character that reflects what that role should be? If we take just a general look at leadership across our world, one of the things we'll find is that a lot of times um, people are put in positions of leadership that they're either not ready for or that they're ill-equipped for because their character doesn't match the responsibility that has been placed upon them. All right, that's my phone. 10 a.m., all right, 10 a.m. If you have a phone, if you have a watch that you keep time on, would you set a 10 o'clock a.m. alarm for every single day? All right? You can do that right now if you need to remember it. 10 o'clock a.m. If you don't have a watch here, an alarm here, why don't you go ahead and write down a note. When you get home, set an alarm for 10 a.m. every single day. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Um, So we're talking about leadership and God's call upon leaders. And I'll be honest with you. um, In looking at these passages this week, you begin to go, oh Lord, help me. (laughs) Because when you begin to look at what God calls leaders to, it's a staggering thing. And in fact, it's something that in any of our own power would be absolutely impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And with the work of the Spirit of God in our life, um, God wants to mature us, to make us complete in Him. In fact, in Colossians, it says, Paul says, I, I desire to present everyone mature in Christ. And that's his heart for the church there. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, looking at this primarily. Before we get there, though, I want to set the stage. So we're going to talk about leaders. But before we talk about leaders, we need to talk about the church, the congregation. Who is it and why does it matter? Simply put, the, the church is a body of believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be priests for God in the world from 1 Peter chapter 2, right? A a body of believers in Jesus who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be priests for God in the world. When Jesus came, he said, I'm going to build my church 
right? He tells this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus came and is part of the message of making the gospel and spreading the gospel forth into all the world. He commissioned these apostles, these disciples, and, and these were the early believers in the church. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come down upon these believers with great power. And the word of God begins to go forth in great power, not just in Jerusalem, but also to Judea and also to Samaria. And the church is born. And it's born and it's birthed upon the confession of Jesus. Um, so the church in its simplest form is a body of believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit to be priests for God. The idea of being a priest for God is to be someone who serves. So, someone who goes before God in every walk of life to serve God wherever he has placed you, right? So you, you might be a pastor, like Tom or I, or, or, or one of our elders who serves in a lay shepherding role. You might be a deacon. You might be a construction worker. You, you, you might be a fast food worker. You might be a, a, a physician. You might be a student. Whatever walk of life God has placed you in right now, he's calling you to be a priest. Someone who serves him in every part of our lives. Whether it's, you know, official ministry, really official ministry and unofficial ministry, those de designations aren't terribly helpful because all of our lives are called to be lived for the glory of God in walking with him. That's who the church is. And, and I love how actually our statement of faith, this is um, section 13, paragraph 5, okay? Or, or page 5. Section 13, paragraph, page 5. Um, we say this in our statement of faith about who the church is. It says, we believe that the church, which is his body, his meaning Christ's body, is composed of all who are united by the Holy Spirit to the risen and ascended Son of God. And that by the same Spirit, all believers are baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, and thus being members one of another, we are responsible to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, rising above all sectarian prejudices and denominational bigotry, and loving one another with a pure heart fervently. Right? This is a definition of who the church is, but it's really also a description of what we're called to be. We're called to be a people, whether we're Jew or Gentile, which was the two predominant classes or groups, ethnic groups in that time. Jews or Gentiles, whether you are slave or free, whether you're male or female, we're called to be members of one another, to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace, and to not allow the, um, I love the phrase, it's very uh, descriptive phrase, prejudices and denominational bigotry be something that separates us. In other words, if, if someone else, you know, a member of my family who goes to a different church, a, a member or a friend of mine in this area who goes to a different church, if we're followers of Jesus, we should lock arms as brothers, we should lock arms as sisters and not allow denominational differences, though they are important, to be something that ultimately divides us. Because when Scripture speaks about church, about the church, it speaks about the whole church, but then sometimes it also speaks about local congregations. And it's important to remember that in the midst of the local congregation and across denominational lines, we're to love each other with a pure heart fervently. We also say this, we believe that the local church is a company of regenerate persons committed to meeting together, baptized on a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, united in covenant, 
Article 11 is our covenant in our church constitution for worship, instruction, the observance of the Christian ordinances, and for such services as the gospel requires, recognizing Christ as their supreme Lord and lawgiver, and taking his word as their only and sufficient rule of faith and practice in all matters of conscience and religion. Why do I start here? Well, different churches organize differently, and it's important when we come to recognizing how God has put together the local congregation. We want to be biblical in all we do. And so we're going to look at the text here this morning. You've got a lot of things there. If you want all my notes, by the way, I will give you a copy of this. You can go home and study it and and dive into the text more deeply. But I love the way that we say this. Taking God's word is our only and sufficient rule of faith and practice in all matters of conscience and religion. As a people, as a people of God, while there are leaders within local congregations, for every single one of us, our final word and authority in all things is the Scripture. All right? Which means, if I misunderstand the Scripture, we should lovingly talk about it. Uh, It's not uncommon for me to go down to Pastor Tom's office and say, as I'm studying something, hey, what do you think about this? Because I care how he is reading the text, because I want to make sure that, that we're understanding the text properly. I want to make sure that when we speak, we speak not our words, but God's truth to us. For all of us, our final authority in all things is God himself and his word, which is sufficient for everything in our life. But it is important for us as a local congregation to gather for worship the, the singing together encourages our hearts. The meeting together in fellowship is something that the early church did. We find that in, in Acts chapter 2. Breaking of bread, like food. Right? We're, we're right there. We love food. The early church ate food regularly together. They gathered around a table. They remembered Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for them. These are important things for the church. It's important for us to remember this as we talk about leadership today. Um, We also need to remember that we need to be careful how we speak about the church. Um, There is a very simple truth that is good for us to remember. That's this. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. And I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've had um, challenging relationships with people before within the church. Times when I've been frustrated by the organization We need to remember the church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's a body. It's a family of people who have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus loves his church. And so we should do all we can to protect and to guard um, the love and the care within the body. So you have the church people and dwelt by the Holy Spirit for serving Christ. Um, Scripture also says this. In Romans chapter 12, it says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Sorry about the justification on this. Um, But we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. If giving, give with generosity. If leading, lead with diligence. And if showing mercy, do so with cheerfulness. Paul recognizes in the book of Romans that while we are all a part of the body of Christ, we we make up all of its parts and members, um, that God has given to us different gifts. 
All right? So for some people, it's the gift of encouragement. For some people, it's a gift of service. For others, it's a gift of teaching or of leadership. And if you're called and you're given those gifts, God expects and God wants you to exercise those gifts with all you have dependent upon him. And so um, it mentions specifically in here the gift of leadership, that there is a gift of leadership that God gives for the building up of the church community and the body. And there are two offices that deal directly with this gift of leadership, and they are elders and deacons. One of the places we see Paul addressing these young congregations and in, in noting this, for example, is in Philippians chapter 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, all right, it's Paul and Timothy who are together, they're writing this, they're slaves, uh, slaves of Christ Jesus. And he, and he writes this, he, he tells who he's writing to, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, okay? So this particular letter is written to a particular body of believers, not just written to the whole church, though you can make principal applications from it. it it's written to a specific group of believers. And actually, in the fourth chapter, he's going to call out some specific names of believers because he wants to address some of the things that are going on in that local congregation. But to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, as to whom the book is written, including the overseers and the deacons. And so we see two predominant leadership roles here, overseers and deacons. Now, depending on your tradition, you understand these things a, a varied number of ways. Um, deacons uh, are, are those who specifically use their gifts to, um, to serve the local congregation. Uh, we'll talk about elders in just a moment. But, but deacons, for example, in Acts chapter 6, it says, Then the twelve summoned, these are the apostles, they summoned the whole company of disciples, and they said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men full of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. So, so there's a task here, but as we'll see in 1 Timothy, when we eventually get there, um, at the core of this task is a character that Paul is encouraging, or Luke in this case is, is, is encouraging. He's, he's quoting um, a Peter, I believe, uh, who, who he's saying, I, I want you to select people, men full of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom who can serve in this way. That's deacon, okay? We're going to talk about elder for a little bit longer, so let's move to that. In verse 4, it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry, which becomes the center point of an elder or a shepherd or a pastor's ministry. All right, so I use the word overseer and deacon. Deacon's pretty straightforward. Overseer we need to talk about for a minute because there's four primary words that are used in the scripture to describe the office of elder, okay? It's the word I have this for you as well. It's the word presbyteros is one of them. And it means a spiritually mature one seen in the role of a patriarch. There's another word that it, that's used to describe an elder. And it's the word, you, sometimes it's translated bishop. It's the word episcope. Say episcope. There you go. It, and it means flock inspector. You go, okay, that's interesting. Um, then you have overseer. We just saw that in Philippians chapter 1. And it's episkopos. Can you say episkopos? Good. Just making sure you're awake. Stand with me. Uh, episkopos, and it's a flock equipper. So here you have a mature one, seen in the role of a patriarch, a flock inspector, a flock equipper, and finally you have the word pastor, poimen. Say poimen. Poimen. And it means a flock shepherd 
one who feeds, protects, and leads. Scripture uses these words interchangeably. And there's a number of passages where they are used interchangeably to essentially describe the different functions that elder, shepherd, pastor has within the local congregation. One writer writes this, he says, The term translated overseer or bishop was elsewhere used in the ancient world for leaders. And Paul uses it synonymously with elders, a leadership title used within the synagogues. So this is the idea of eldership. And it's important to note, um, oftentimes, in fact, most of the time, elder is used in the plural. You know, Paul writes, together with the overseers and deacons. There's a plurality that is important that Scripture speaks of with elders. What this means is that it's a team effort. Uh, We here often use the terms staff elder and lay elder to describe those of us who are engaged in this work full-time and those who serve voluntarily. But it's important to note that regardless of position, the calling is to eldership. The the calling is to this, this, this pastor role, this presbyteros role, this episcope role, this overseer role for the care and the inspection and the equipping and the shepherding and the feeding and the protecting and the leading of God's church. Regardless of position, all elders who, are, who engage in this task and are called by God are on equal footing with identical authority and responsibility, which is actually in many ways a gift. I, I love it that I have brothers in Christ who can come to me and say, hey, I'm sensing the Spirit saying we need to do this. What do you think? Or they come to me and say, hey, can we talk about this passage? Can we walk through this and how it applies to our local congregation and how we can shepherd them better in this? I am so thankful for a team of elders and not just one person uh, to, to help our congregation grow in Christ. Deacons, we already talked about them. Essentially, they're a servant. They're an assistant with responsibility to care for the needs of believers is the definition of the word deacon, diakonos. It's an easy one, easier one. So we come to our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we are going to read this together. And um, I'm going to have this up on the screen. And actually, I'm going to invite you to read this with me. So would you stand? And let's read together. I'm reading from the HCSB. If you have one of those, you can read out of your text. If you don't, you can read from the screen. Let's read together. I did not include verse 1. So let me read verse 1, and then we'll jump in on verse 2. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Let's read together. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. 
Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And they must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons must be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households confidently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Pray with me, please. Our Father, even reading these words again, I'm reminded of the high calling that you call leaders within your church too. And God, I pray for a, for a humility and a dependence upon your spirit to walk this out. And God, you call each one of us into this kind of relationship with you. Maybe not in the office of leader, but certainly in our walk with you, God. These are, these are qualities that reflect your heart for us, your people. They're, they're qualities that reflect a growing maturity in Christ. And, and while none of us have achieved this in its fullness, God, we want to. We pray that you'd give us the grace as we learn how to do that best today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So, we're going to talk about a lot of these character traits in just a moment here. Uh, but it's important to note this. The primary emphasis of Paul teach, Paul's teaching on church leadership is on personal character, not an office. Okay? It's on personal character, not an office. Um, one of my favorite musicians is a guy by the name of Johnny Lang. All right? he's, a, he's a blues guitarist. And I, I heard him maybe 15, 20 years ago. He, he cut his first record when he was 16 years old, which is really young. He's a really good guitar player. And I think he learned to start playing guitar at age 13. So that tells you how much he grew in three years. Um, then he went to go on tour with um, Stevie Wonder when he was like 16 years old, which is crazy to go from, hey, I just learned to play guitar to now I'm playing big stadiums. Why do I tell you this? Uh, it's very easy, very easy to be put on a platform before you can emotionally and your character can handle it. One of the things I've appreciated about him is um, through some of the interviews I've seen, I've seen a, an artist and a musician grow to a state of wisdom um, that he has that a lot of musicians his age don't have or older don't have. This matters because character is at the foundation of who we are. C character, I like to define this way, is who I am when no one else is looking. All right, character, who I am when no one else is looking. L let me ask you a question. Who are you when no one else is looking? What comprises your, your, your thoughts of your mind, the actions of your hands? What, what drives what you do? The best thing we can do in our personal lives is to have a close walk with Jesus. Nothing else on earth can replace this. And it's this that's at the heart 
of someone, especially who is a church leader. Um, we talked about the term episkopos already. Um, we're going to look at this term overseer from this passage. Uh, in 1 Timothy um, 3, please note first that it says this, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. He desires a noble work. I, I was talking about um, what I was teaching with, with, with a friend on Friday, and they were relating um, the story of their parents' church out on the East Coast. And they said, you know, it's really tough for my parents' church to find spiritual leaders because a lot of people don't desire it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a sense of responsibility that comes with it. And, and there's a sense of expectation. In fact, what he described was a lot of people, if they take that office, then they're like, well, I can't do this, 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 and this, and this anymore because now I'm an elder. For Paul, notice he says to desire this is a noble work. And for Paul, it's actually the character precedes the office. He says, it's good to desire this. It's, it's good to desire this. It's good to have this, this, this desire and to recognize a calling upon your lives, men, if God calls you into this noble task. I was... Um, I was having a conversation uh, with a friend several months ago. And we were talking about deaconship. And, and he was like, you know, I think I might be interested in, in serving as a deacon. But he said, is it bad to even ask that? And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not at all bad to ask that. Scripture says it's good to, to desire a noble task. I said, but let's talk about character. Let's talk, let's talk about the things that matter in this reflection. We always have to be self-reflective in this way. E even my own life as a young pastor, you know, I I've been here 15 years. It's crazy. And, and this was my first full-time ministry coming out of school. I, I was greener than green, right? I I'd had a certain amount of experience and training, but there's so many things I look back on my life and I go, man, I wish I'd had that. And I wish I'd had that. Thankfully, I had a good team around me to help encourage and to support and to say, hey, Jeremy, have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought about this? It doesn't mean that you have to be old. It doesn't mean that you have to be young. But there's a certain character that comes with us. And it's good to desire a noble task. Paul actually trains a lot of young pastors. And he has Timothy and Titus appoint these young leaders, these elders within congregations throughout the whole Greek world and the Roman world. It's important to note that the appointment to church eldership as a task that is given to church leadership who recognize a calling of God upon a man's life and who subsequently investigate to see whether or not their character, the person who they are when no one is looking, is the same as the one that they see. And so Paul runs through just a host of qualifications here. We'll try to do these quickly. But he, he talks about some important um, qualifications. The first one is that he must be above reproach. Above reproach. This could be translated irreproachable. It, it means that the person cannot be criticized, presumably because it has no flaw. It, it's a word that's used for other things. And you, you look at these things, you're like, there's no flaw in this. In this glass vase, there's absolutely no flaw. I can't, I can't see where there's a crack or where there's a, a, a break of any kind. To be above reproach means that, that you keep the commandments of God. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. I, I love the way one person wrote this. Um, this is my Greek professor. He said, because the office of overseer is such an important position, those who fulfill that role must be of a certain character, above reproach. The opponents in 
Paul's letter to Timothy, were leaders in the church whose character and behavior had become so horrendous that they were dragging the church down into disrepute. Have you ever seen that happen within churches? I unfortunately have. The context here, people were dragging the church in the name of Jesus down into disrepute. He says, a true overseer must be the type of person whose personal behavior will counter that of the opponents and help the church regain its credibility. The principle I would add above being a reproach is, if character goes, conduct is surely to follow. If character goes, conduct is surely to follow. All right? It's why Paul starts here. He, he, he doesn't pull back his punch, elders, uh, deacons. He does not pull back his punch. He says, an overseer, a, an elder, a shepherd, a pastor must be above reproach. And then he says, the husband of one wife. Now, the husband of one wife can literally be translated one woman man, okay? One woman man. And it doesn't refer to um, whether you are married or not. It refers to that if you are married, you have a certain quality of marriage, right? It, it means that if you are married, um, it's not about numbers of wives. Of course, if you have numbers of wives, that is a question that we talk about, um, <laughs> for many reasons. Um, but it refers to the quality of marriage that you have with your wife. Because it's possible to be a, married one time and not have a quality relationship with your wife. Right? And that can dishonor the name of Christ. It's also possible to be single and to be an elder, i.e. Paul. Right? Paul was never married, so far as we know. He did not have a wife. And so it does not mean that you have to be married. It refers to this quality. Now, one of the questions that has come up throughout the years, and if you want to do some more study on this, I can give you some study materials, um, is, is how does divorce play into this? Certainly, divorce is something that is very prevalent within our culture, right? And, and actually, even all, all sorts of, of things were happening in this early Roman culture that, that the church took a very distinct stand against. In my view, divorce is... is Sometimes necessary, but it doesn't reflect God's heart for marriage, all right? Sometimes necessary to stop sin, but it does not reflect God's heart for marriage. So how does this play into the role of an elder? Um, it means, because I think it's best translated one, one woman man, that it is possible to be divorced and remarried, or to have a second marriage because your first spouse died and you remarried at some point in time, and still serve as an elder. But I would add this, the, the, the qualification here is, what is the quality of your current relationship with your current spouse? And you should take that very seriously. And if there's a past there, you should investigate that past and make sure that everything that could have been done could have been done. And, and where there's repentance and forgiveness and restoration that is needed, that you pursue that with all that you have. Um, we'll note here that above reproach goes into this, and it goes into a whole bunch of other descriptions that when taken together, you look at this person, you go, yeah, that is a person who is godly right now. Because I don't know about you, there was a time in which I was not terribly godly, in which anger and frustration ruled my life, in which self-controlled, in, in which sensible and respectable, respectable and hospitable were, were not all the character that was in here. All of us have a past before we met Christ. 
all of us have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb when we've trusted Christ. There is a work that God has done to be a husband of one wife, in, in my view, in the view of our elder team, means to be a one-woman man. It refers to this quality of marriage. Again, if you want to study that further, I'd be happy to point you to some resources. Um, above reproach, husband of one wife, self-controlled. Self-controlled can be described as prudent or thoughtful. It's the avoidance of extremes and careful consideration for responsible action. It, it describes the person who doesn't just knee-jerk reaction and go all in either high or low. It's the, it's the person who says, I'm going to think about that, and then I'm going to give a measured, godly, biblical, thoughtful response. It, it describes the person who, who says, I, I care more about being responsible and considerate than making my voice heard. Self-controlled. Paul goes into sensible. To be sensible means to be restrained in self-conduct, to be level-headed. Why does this matter? In, in a local congregation where sometimes conflict occurs. You have to be level-headed to think through and to hear all the varying points of view and to weigh them against the Scripture and say, here's what I believe God wants you to do in light of this. Sensible. To be restrained in self-conduct and level-headed. If, if you just kind of roll into something with all emotion, it's really easy. And, and trust me, we've all been there. When you roll into that with emotion, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to regain your control. An elder, a shepherd, a pastor is to be one who seeks to live this out and whose life is characterized by it. Respectable means modest. It means having a high regard for people. In other words, when people look at an elder, they're to have a high regard for them because of the character that they see doesn't mean that there isn't um, things that we all walk through. It means that you look at someone, you go, yeah, I really respect them. They're a person of their word. They're a person who is faithful to their spouse, all this kind of stuff. Respectable means modest, having a high regard for people. Then it goes and it says hospitable, hospitable. Some translations say hospitable without complaining. Um, at least that's why I have my notes here. I don't see it up there. Hospitable. It means to be hospitable without complaining, especially to strangers. One of the things that would happen in the ancient period is you'd have itinerant teachers come through. And, and one of the marks of an elder is they would eagerly, willingly open their house and say, can I give you shelter for the night? Now, I'm not suggesting that that happens the same way that it does back then, but it's someone who says, I welcome you into my life. It doesn't matter whether you're new. It doesn't matter whether you've been here forever. It means I welcome you into my life. It, it, it means that even if you are a stranger, you have a seat at my table. By the way, you have a seat at my table. If you'd like to come, my office, my house, love to have you. Um, my, my parents are someone who really express this in ways much better than I probably ever will. My, my, my parents, uh, some of you have stayed with my parents, right? Whether you're traveling south or whether we've gone together to a conference down in that area at Cedarville University, we, we've stayed in my parents' home. They're people who, who model if we have it to use for the kingdom, we want to use it. Uh, and I love that. And by the way, they're introverts. My, my dad's very much an introvert, but they've recognized God has given us this opportunity here and here and here and here, and it doesn't always work, but, but they seek to open their home 
in meaningful ways. I remember as a kid, we never knew who was going to be at lunch after church uh, because it was like, who else are mom and dad going to invite? Because oftentimes they would catch the, the college student who didn't have a place to go or the single adult or the new family and be like, hey, come share a meal at our table. They, they, they exemplify this idea of hospitality. One of the important ones is this word able to teach. Able to teach. This is what distinguishes in many, this is the biggest distinguish, distinguishment, distinguish, that's not the right word. This is the biggest character, not character, but ability thing that distinguishes an elder from a deacon. Being able to teach. Clearly, I'm not doing that great of a job. I can't even think of the word, right? Um, but, but it's the ability here to be skillful in teaching. And the context suggests that this is important because there's all this false teaching going on in the church that's being exposed to the culture. Um, elsewhere, Paul tells Titus that church elders must be people who f- hold firmly to what they were taught, to be able to instruct and to review, refute those who are teaching error. The ability to teach is important for an elder. So he has all these positive attributes. Then he goes into these negative attributes. Not addicted to wine, which means you're not getting drunk, right? It means you're not indulging in excess to the point in which your body is becoming something that is not um, led by the Spirit. It's led by the other spirits, right? (laughs) Sorry, it's kind of funny. Clearly only to me. Okay. Um, Not an excessive drinker. Not a bully, but being gentle. That's what it means, There, not a bully, but being gentle, right? Uh, Not being a pushover. Gentleness is not being a pushover, but it's not demanding your own way and going in with that. Not being quarrelsome. Not being quarrelsome. This is a strong term that describes an active and serious bickering. It it can even refer to physical combat. Um, Scripture talks all over about um, how internal fighting is caused by one's passions in James chapter 4. And how quarreling is sometimes the result of pursuing um, ridiculous and senseless controversies. Second Timothy chapter 2. An elder is not to be someone who quarrels. It's someone who, who does the opposite of that, who doesn't engage in active and serious bickering. Also, not to be greedy. Literally taken, this means to not be a friend of silver. Some people engage in ministry for financial gain, right? We've, we've seen this on various TV shows and stuff like that sometimes. Or at least that's the sense that we get. Um, this does not mean that they should not be given an ample honorarium for their ministry, see later in the book of 1 Timothy, but that their character should not make this the leading desire. So we have these positive um, qualifications, we have negative qualifications, and then it goes into family um, conversation. One who manages his own household competently is the way that the HCSB has translated this. This idea of manage is important. The word here in the next phrase, having his children under control with all dignity. The word here used for children is the word technon, and it's typically the word that's used to refer to younger children. Why that matters is this. Um, it is important for elders who have younger children um, to be a good dad, to engage in that in a very effective and meaningful way. Because you have to lead your family in order to lead the church, is what Paul's going to say in a few minutes with regard to deacons. Um, Adult children become, at some point, accountable for their actions. There become things that, that even with the influence that moms and dads have later in life, we cannot control. 
I think what Paul's getting to here is, is, especially if you have a younger family, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? In, in fact, one of, my, one of my friends once said, look at the family, and that will be a picture of how someone will act and operate in leading a church. Um, the principle is this. Um, men, the manner in which we lead at home reflects how we lead in the larger family of God. Um, it can be possible to look at someone and say, I think they have this character. And I think they have this calling and this equipping. And as we dig down, we're like, I, I think you need to shepherd your family a little bit more. I, I think we need to see this and this and this. Not that you're perfect. Not that I'm perfect. No one's perfect. But, but we look at that person and we say, yeah, they're caring for their family well. Because the amount of ministry that we have is directly in relationship to how we care for our family and what God is doing there. But I'll also say this. Um, church leaders are often very much under attack and their families. So um, it's just a thing that's important to remember that we'll talk about again in just a moment. Um, Paul goes on to say, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Then he goes into verse 6. He must not be a new convert, uh, which means this should not be something that he is thrust into shortly after he becomes a follower of Jesus. And, and it's, Paul gives the reason, or he might become conceited. And the word conceited here means to be puffed up or to be prideful. Um, what can happen if you take someone who's new in the faith and you give them a, a leadership authority and responsibility that they're not ready for yet is they can become puffed up and prideful. And Paul actually says, or they might fall into the condemnation of the devil. In other words, you could put so much pressure on them that they crumble under that expectation or they think of themselves more highly than they ought because now they have an office attached to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's important that they not be new convert so that this doesn't happen because pride comes before a fall. Additional qualifications is a good reputation amongst outsiders. Also, so that they do not fall into the disgrace of the devil's trap. How does this work out in practicality? If someone is an elder, this is a humbling thing to think about. If someone is an elder or pastor, it should not surprise the people in their life in the community. If someone hears, oh, you're a pastor, and they've just seen you sling together a bunch of colorful language and treat your spouse poorly, there's, the two don't match up. Paul says this, you need to have a good reputation with outsiders because sometimes who we are, remember characters, who you are when no one else is looking, sometimes our character is better seen by people at the ball field or people at are in our homes or people within our workplaces. I was convicted of, of this this past season. One of my kids was playing baseball. And, um, and, you know, emotions get the best of you sometimes. And I got into this complaining mode, right? And, and it was the next day. I was reading something about spiritual leadership. And it says, it's very important that you not speak ill about other people. And I went, oh, I was complaining about the ump, you know, it's true confessions. Um, I was complaining about this person. I was complaining about that person. This doesn't mean perfection. This means that when people generally look at you, they say, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that that person is a spiritual leader. That's elders. Really quickly, I want to do deacons. They're very similar. But it says deacons likewise should be worthy of respect. 
They should be people who have earned it by the quality of their character. Not hypocritical. In other words, what they say is what they do. They follow through. They, they shouldn't drink a lot of wine for the same reasons that we talked about with elders. Not greedy for money for the same reasons we talked about for elders, but even more. In the early period, the deacons were often responsible for carrying and distributing goods and, and financial stuff to widows and to orphans. And it'd be easy to skim off the top. It's important to find men full of faith with good character because they're put in responsibility in charge of a lot of things. Not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It also talks about household stuff. They must be tested first. This just means that you watch and you, you examine to see if what's going on in their life is consistent with what they say. Right? So they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanders, self-controlled, faithful, and everything. My understanding of this is that in the ancient time, it, it would be not all in common to serve widows and orphans. And so you're working as a deacon with these people, uh, often who are having a challenging time. It's important that your wife can keep a confidence because there's a lot of things as a spouse that you find out about people right? And, and you have these experiences, and you want to guard them well. You want to be self-controlled. You want to be faithful in everything. This is, this is a good reminder for all of us um, in how we act and we work with one another. Goes on to talk about deacons again. Must be um, husbands of one wife. We talked about that. Managing their children and their old households competently. Same thing. For those who have served well as deacons acquire good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right. All these things are written. And I'll just say what is not mentioned. What is not mentioned is whether they preach for 25 or 50 minutes. I'm ending soon, I promise. Uh, it's not whether they wear jeans or Norwegian sweaters. I told Pastor Tom I would make that statement. Uh, it's not whether they cheer for the Ohio State Buckeyes or the Michigan State Spartans. <clears throat> Just kidding, kind of. Um, it's not any of those things. For God, spiritual leadership all comes down to character. Character is who you are when no one's looking. And I read this this week, and I go, oh God, help me. Because there are so many things that I look at this and I go, God, I need to grow in that. And I need to grow in that. And I need to grow in that. And it's easy sometimes to say, I just need to become better, right? And that's a, that's a fleeting reality. Because it'll never happen if I just say, I need to become better. The only way this character becomes reality in our life, men and women, is if we say, God, here I am. God, would you change me? God, would you work through me to serve the body and to further your kingdom? I knew I'd be talking at least to our crew of elders and deacons this morning. But I, I just want to ask you this. As, as we think about moving in toward this next year, I'd like you, men, to ask this question. God, um, are you leading me to serve in one of these roles? All right? Maybe you have before. Maybe you never have. Say, God, would, are you leading me to serve in one of these roles? I also want to ask you, 
uh, whether you're male or female, say, God, would you make me into this kind of a person? Sensible, prudent, someone who exudes respect for others and love, hospitality, someone who's above reproach, someone who keeps their, their marriage, if you're married, in proper, um, in proper relationship, someone who cares for your family well, so, someone who, who doesn't just seek to become better, but seeks to walk with God. Because that's really what's at the end of all of this. So I ask you, men, God, are you, are you leading me to serve in one of these roles? But the other thing I want to ask you as a congregation for is this. I want to ask for your prayer. I, you heard my phone go off. That was intentional, by the way. It goes off at 10 a.m. for the last couple of days, and it's a reminder for me to pray. Uh, in other cultures, they have various times in which there's calls to prayer and stuff like that, and, and sometimes they come at um, awkward moments of the day. But I love the principle uh, we, we find this within the Jewish people where, where several times a day they go to God in prayer. And so I set an alarm for 10 a.m. on my phone and at 10 a.m. every day it plays that song and I go, that's right, I need to pray. And here's what I'd love to ask you, do, ask you to do. I'd love to ask you to set an alarm for 10 a.m. every day. And when that alarm goes off, whatever you're doing, it doesn't need to be long, but take a, a brief moment and pray for your elders and your deacons, that they would walk closely with God, that God would protect their families from the evil one, that God would lead them in paths of righteousness for his, his name's sake, that God would give us a heart to know him. Uh, two of my dear friends, Leo and Joan Gordillo, they, they often join uh, online. I get a text from them probably every week, every other week, and it just says, I am praying this for you. I love that because it reminds me I'm not in this alone. I've got a community, a people, a family gathered around that with God's help, as we seek to serve the body of Christ and to teach and to exhort and to comfort and to train, to help you follow Jesus I know that there's people who are helping me follow Jesus and praying for me, praying for my kids, praying for my wife. That matters so much. Would you set an alarm for 10 a.m. every single day? And yes, it can go off during church. It would actually make me smile if it went off and we'll just pause and pray next week when it goes off at 10 a.m. during church. I'll leave you with this. Hebrews 13 says, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. I will say this. It is a privilege to serve this congregation with our elder and our deacon team. It absolutely is. And we love you dearly. We know this though. Ultimately, we give an account to the Lord for everything we do. And that should give all of us pause. It should give all of us pause. But it should also give us great rejoicing because in him is mercy and forgiveness and grace. In him is strength for today and hope for tomorrow.
Would you pray with me? Our Father, we've covered a lot of ground this morning. Looking at what does it mean to be a biblical church leader. And God, I, I pray for, for myself. I pray for Tom. I pray for the rest of our elder team. As we seek to hear your voice and to provide leadership and guidance with all diligence for this congregation. God, we can't do it apart from you. We're not smart enough. We're not capable enough. We're not gifted enough. God, we are wholly dependent upon you. But God, I thank you that you've given us everything we need. I thank you that your spirit indwells our hearts and our lives. And God, I pray that you'd help us to walk after you this day. I pray for our families, that you would guard and protect them from the evil one, that you would keep them from, from, from thoughts of discouragement, thoughts of um, frustration. God, that you would help us to, to love you and to love one another with the love of Christ. I pray for our deacon team, God, as they, as they serve people within our church and people within our community. God, they do so with a heart to love you and a heart to make Jesus known and to be practical in loving people. Thank you for how they come alongside people who have everything from gas needs to, to um, paying, helping pay for, for various bills that have come up to, to surgeries that happen to, to practical needs within our congregation here, God. Thank you for their gift to us Thank you for the gift of our families to us. God, I thank you for the church. God, you, you have called, you have equipped each one of us to be a part of your body. I pray for humility to hear your voice and to follow your path and your teaching. God, um, your word is our ultimate authority because it is breathed from you. It reflects your heart for us and your heart for this world and in the brokenness of the world that we, that we walk in. God, we thank you that we have a lamp to our feet and the light to our path. Help us to be faithful regardless of our age, regardless of how long we've been a Christian, regardless of any of those things, God. We want our words to reflect and our character to reflect and our hearts to reflect the glory of God at work in us. We pray for your help in this and for your kingdom to come and, to your will, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that you would give us today our sufficient needs for today. That you would forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who have trespassed against us. And God, that you would lead us And deliver us from evil. God, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Together we say, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772-4377.